Thanks for tuning in to the preaching and teaching ministry of the First Baptist Church of Long Beach with Pastor Dave Delaney. Take your Bibles and go with me to the book of Exodus, the book of Exodus and chapter number 36, Exodus chapter 36 and Exodus chapter 37 and then Exodus chapter number 38. We have lofty goals before us this mor- this evening. Chapter 36, chapter 37, and chapter 38 is where we're going to be for our time together around God's Word. Now, in case you're Having some more heart palpitations. We gave you some of those this morning. But in case in looking at the text, you're going, what are you trying to do, Pastor? Right? What is the point of trying to tackle all three of these chapters? Just take a casual glance at the chapters 36, chapter 37, chapter 38. Like, let's just pick any of the parts. Look at verse number 14. And he made curtains of goat's hair for the tent over the tabernacle. Eleven curtains he made them. The length of one curtain was thirty cubits, and four cubits was the breadth of the one curtain, and eleven curtains were the size slife altering stuff, right? I mean it's not the climax that Romans eight was, but it's but it's second second to it, right? It's how you go if you're not careful, this how look look down, let's just keep going. Some of you are looking at it like maybe there's more. Maybe there's more to this. Look at verse thirty, and there were eight boards. That's good to know. And their sockets were sixteen sockets of silver under every board. Two sockets, just in case you wanted to know what was under the boards that were there in the tabernacle. Right. Verse thirty-seven. It doesn't. It doesn't change. He it, it continues. Look at verse thirty-seven. Look at verse or chapter thirty-seven. Look at verse two. And he overlaid it with pure gold within and without. He made a crown of gold to it round about, and he cast for it four rings of gold to be set by the four corners of it, even two rings upon the one side of it, and two rings upon the other side of it. And then he made staves of shittim wood and overlaid them with gold, and then he put the staves into the ring by the sides of the ark to bear the ark. Whew. If I'm going to like sign life verses, if, if I ever sign something for you or sign my name underneath my name, I write my life verse, John chapter 3, verse number 30, he must increase, I must decrease, right? So I try to live that. Romans 8, perhaps, for some of you, that's that. You know, there, there's now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. Uh, Romans maybe it's 8.28, all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are called according to his purpose. I have never in all of my years of seeing signatures and then a Bible verse underneath of it, seen the reference Exodus 36, 37, and 38. You ever seen someone sign their Bible with these verses? It keeps going, just in case you don't. Look at verse 10. Made the table of shittim wood, two cubits was the length thereof, and a cubit was the breadth thereof, and a cubit with a, and a cubit and a half. Get that half in there. And a cubit and a half was the height thereof, and he overlaid it with pure gold, and made thereunto a crown of gold round about it. And he also made thereunto a border of a handbreadth. 
It's like, it was like this, this long, right? A hand breadth round about it and made a crown of gold and the border thereon. It just keeps, it just keeps, look at chapter 30, 38. Go to chapter 38. It just keeps running. He's, he's, he's making the altar, the very beginning of this. The altar, the burnt offerings of the Shittim word. Five cubits was the length thereof. And five cubits was the breadth thereof. And it was four square. And three cubits was the height thereof. Four, don't think the game four square. He's not, he's not, he's not talking about the game. He's, he's talking about how it was designed. It was four squares is what he's made it there. Look at verse two. And he made the horns of the altar and the four corners of it. And the horns thereof were of the same and he overlaid it with brass and he just, just all the way through this is this is the entire chapter chapter 36 chapter 37 chapter 38 all, all the way through so when you're preaching through a book of the bible as is our bible study method here at first baptist you know next chapter next verse and you're preaching through large portions of scripture you have to before you begin a study like this you have to have in your mind what you're going to do with these kind of passages how what are these what are they meaning for me and for you are they are they meaning less and that's 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 generally how we approach passages like this. We see passages like this, and then we go, "This this doesn't mean anything for me. I'm just going to skip on ahead. Let me get to let me get to the good stuff, right?" And if you do that, and, if, and, and some choose to do that, but if you do that, you really miss kind of the the, the wonder of what's taking place in these passages. Look, look what's happening here. Look at verse number thirty, verse number one of chapter thirty-six. Let it, let it, let it settle. Just slow down and let it settle. Don't, don't get lost in the minutia of what's taking place with all the shittim wood and the and the shekels and the and the and the staves and the corners and the and and, and the sockets and everything else. Just, just slow down. Look what he says. Look at verse thirty-six. And the Lord put wisdom and understanding to know the work of all the manner of the work. For the service of the sanctuary. If you're in a habit of, circ- of, of, of highlighting things in your Bible or circling words, you should circle the word and the sanctuary. So, so what he's giving you in this chapter is he's giving you how they made the sanctuary, how it looked. What was in it, where it was built, where it went, all the dimensions of it. If you have a Bible that has cross references in it, so maybe that like lays in the middle of the, of the two columns of scripture. This is, if you have a cross reference, you're probably cross referencing in this to Exodus chapter 26 and Exodus chapter 27 and Exodus chapter 28. Exodus 26. 25, 6, 7, 8, all of that runs right behind Exodus chapter 20 where the Lord delivers the Ten Commandments. And then as soon as he finishes delivering the Ten Commandments, he gives instruction for what the tabernacle is supposed to look like. And if you'll contrast this chapter and the instruction given from the Lord about what the tabernacle is to look like, what you'll find is you will find two identical chapters you'll find two identical chapters 
The Lord said, here's what I want the tabernacle to be. And here's the breadth of it and the height of it. And here's what I want put inside of it. And here's the wood I want you to use while you make it. And then you get fast forward now to the end of the book, 36, and you'll have the identical specific details being accomplished in chapter 36 as was laid down in the earlier portion. But you have something, you have something more important happening. You have the sanctuary being built. Now what, now why does that matter? Is this is how God is deciding to interact with his people. This is the way, this is the, the, the method that the Lord will use to interact with his people. It will be temple worship and it will become such a part of who they are that when you get to the New Testament, the Jewish people are traveling three times a year to Jerusalem in order to observe temple worship. This is, you're getting a snapshot. It's not the temple yet. It's the tabernacle because they aren't in the promised land, but it's just as uh, instructive and formative for you and for me. You see verse 36 and the sanctuary, the work of the sanctuary. Look, look at chapter 37. If you're in the habit of marking, you should mark this phrase. Look at chapter 37. Look at verse one and made the ark and made the ark. So what we refer to this as, is we refer to this as, do you know what it is? We refer to this as the Ark of the Covenant. How many of you ever heard that phrase before? The Ark of the Covenant. So so here it is. Uh, 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 Baalzleel makes the Ark of Shittim wood, two cubits and a half was the length of it. A cubit and a half was the breadth of it. A cubit and a half was the height of it. And he overlaid it with pure gold within and without. And he made the crown to it round about. And he cast for it four rings to be set by the four corners of it. Even two rings upon one side and two rings upon the other side. And he made staves of shittim wood that over and overlaid them with gold. And they put the staves into the rings. So like these rods, they ran through the rings uh, on the sides of the ark to bear the ark. This is how they went. This is how they're supposed to pick it up. Then the, the to, into the, to bear the ark. And then he made the mercy seed of pure gold and two cubits and a half was the link thereof and a cubit and a half of was the breath thereof and he made the, the the cherubs of gold beaten out of one piece of one piece made he them and the two ends on the mercy seat one cherub on the end on this side and another cherub that's an angel on the end of the other side out of the mercy seat he made the cherubs and the uh, on the two ends thereof the cherubs spread their wings on high and covered with their wings over the mercy seat and with their faces one to another, even the, even to the mercy seatward were the faces of the cherubs. Okay. What are we supposed to do with that? What is all of this supposed to mean for me and for you? Well, you, have to, you have to put yourself back into the context of what's happening in this part of the Exodus story. 
What you, what you will find, if you compare the Exodus 25, 26, 27, 28, if you'll compare all of those passages with 36, 37, 38, you'll find not only is it identical, but you will find that they are making the exact things that the Lord told them to make. There's only one exception. There's only one exception. That when the Lord commands them of the things that they are to make, he begins with the Ark of the Covenant and he ends with the temple, the tabernacle. And when they come to Exodus chapter 36, 7, and 8, they make the tabernacle first and the Ark of the Covenant second. Now, why do you suppose they would do that? Why do you suppose when he delivers the law to them, he says, Ark first, tabernacle second, but when they make these things, they say tabernacle first, ark second. But why would that be? But the ark of the covenant was symbolic of what? What is the ark of the covenant symbolic of? The ark of the covenant is symbolic of the presence of God. So, so presumably Moses, the workmen here, Aaron, the Levites, they wouldn't have wanted to make the ark of the covenant first and then set it out in the elements and then gone and tried to build the temple, and who knows how much longer that takes to get co- uh, completed or accomplished, and leave the temple, leave the Ark of the Covenant out there with a tarp draped over the top until we get the, the tabernacle done. No, they would have constructed the Ark of the Covenant, or the, the tabernacle first, and then they construct the Ark of the Covenant second, and they construct the Ark of the Covenant presumably inside of the tabernacle, which is where its home was. It's, it's where it rested. But, but think even farther than that. I think you think even think even more detailed, even more specific to what is happening in the text. Who is allowed into the temp, into the tabernacle? More 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 particular, who is allowed into the holy of holies where the ark of the covenant rests? Where the ark of the covenant sits? Can just the common Israelite who wants to see the Ark of the Covenant, can he just go strolling up to the front door of the First Baptist Tabernacle Church of Jerusalem, knock on the door, go in, say, I'd like to see the church furniture. No, there's only one man who's allowed to enter into the Holy of Holies and actually sees the Ark of the Covenant. There's only one man, it's the high priest, and he's only allowed to do it one time a year. So, so he, there's only one man who can even go in there, and then there's only one time a year that he can enter. So, so you think about this for, for, for us, because we can Google search Ark of the Covenant really quick, right? If you want to know what the Ark of the Covenant is, just do a quick Google search. You can even do it before the sermon's over. And you can have in your mind what the Ark of the Covenant is. But think about this for the Israelites. The Ark of the Covenant. Man, the symbolic presence of God which resides in the Holy of Holies. An entire generation serves God, worships God, follows God, goes after God without ever seeing the Ark. They never get to see it. Now, we fancy stories later on in the Old Testament where the Ark of the Covenant is paraded out in front of them. It goes into battle. But you got to remember, that's a generation removed from where we are right now. 
So there's this entire generation of Israelites who have heard that there is an Ark of the Covenant, that, that the Ark of the Covenant is symbolic of the presence of God. So what must the Ark of the Covenant be? What must the Ark of the Covenant look like? What must? So here you have God giving Moses the instruction by way of law. Here is how I want you to build the tabernacle. Here is how I want you to build the Ark of the Covenant. And then you have these workers at the end of the book building and then writing specific detail i mean down to the to the rings down to the to the to the rods down to the sockets and the boards and they're recording every bit of that so that a group of people who would otherwise have no idea what the ark of the covenant looks like are able to see it by faith you see that for me for you this falls this falls on deaf ears, uninterested. I don't know. We can just look this up. As a matter of fact, even when we read through it, we even have a hard time following it. Wait, where did the rings go? What were the cherubs? Where were they facing? What were their faces? We even have a hard time following it. And yet you think about what this must have meant to the Israelites in those days as an understanding of the very presence of God dwelling in their midst and having never been into the Holy of Holies, they can tell their children, here's what it looked like. Here's what it looks like. Here's how it is. They have a generation who go their whole lives without ever seeing the Ark of the Covenant. And just as applicable as that is for them, it's applicable for us. Those of us who believe in a God who we do not see. We cannot see. This is, this is an understanding of the element of faith that was required. They heard something, they read something, and they passed what they heard and read down generation to generation, and then it was recorded in the scriptures. This is what's in the tent. This is what will be in the temple. This is the Ark of the Covenant. Listen, they couldn't see it, but they knew what it represented. They couldn't see it, but they knew what it represented. And they were the whole time being prepared for the kind of worship that God expects from us. He Look, he is a God who is heard, but is not seen. Hear me. He is a God who is heard, but not seen. He is a God who is heard. How do we hear God? In his word. We hear God in his word. He is a God who is heard, but is not seen. You can keep going. Look at verse number 10. Exodus chapter 37. And he made the table of shittim wood. Two cubits was the length thereof. A cubit was the breadth thereof. A cubit and a half was the height thereof. He overlaid it with pure gold and made it thereunto a crown of gold round about. And he made thereunto a border of a hand breadth round about. And he made a crown of gold for the border round about. And he cast for it four rings of gold. And he put the rings upon the four corners that were in the four feet thereof. 
Okay, so this isn't the ark. Look at verse 30, look at verse 10. This is the table that sat inside of the, inside of the tabernacle. So this is tabernacle furniture now. That's what this is. This is, this is the table that sits inside of there. You, you skip down here. You'll, you'll see verse number 17. Look down, look at verse number 17. And he made the candlestick of pure gold. So what, so what the, uh, Israeli people identify with today, the menorah. Where'd it come from? It comes from right here. Why do they identify with the menorah? Why do they identify with the candlestick? Why does the candlestick look the way it looks for them? Why does it have to be a specific looking candlestick? Here's, this is, this is where it all comes from. Look at verse number 17. He makes the candlestick of pure gold, of beaten work. Made he the candlestick. His shaft and his branches and his bowl and his knops and his flowers were the same. Six branches going out of the sides thereof. Three branches of the candlestick out of one side. Three branches of the candlestick out of the other side thereof. Three bowls made he after the fashion of almonds. This is, this is why the, the, the bowl that sits at top of that candlestick, why it looks the way it looks. This is, this is where it's coming from. One branch, a knot, a flower. Three bowls like an almond and another branch, a knot and a flower. And so throughout six branches going out of the candlestick. And the candlestick were four bowls made like almonds, his knobs and his flowers, a knob under two branches of the same and a knob under two branches of the same and a knob under two branches of the same. Just in case you didn't get that, that's how it looks. According to the six branches of it. So now you have the candlestick being built. You have, you have the incense. He, he's very spe- he's very specific of the kind of incense that they use even inside of this. Look at verse number 25. And he made the incense of the altar of Shittim wood. It gives you the exact details. Look down at verse uh, chapter 28 or chapter 38, verse number 1. Now you have, so you have the candlestick being made. You have the incense being used. You have the table that was set in there. You have the Ark of the Covenant. You have the exact description of the way the tabernacle was built. Look at verse number 30, verse number one of chapter 38. And he made the altar of burnt offering of shittim wood. And five cubits was the length thereof. And five cubits was the breadth thereof. And it was four square and three cubits high. And he made the horns thereof on the four corners of it. And the horns thereof were of the same. So he gives all this detail for how the altar is being constructed. Again, you have to put yourself in the context that they have there. This is a word that they've received. They're doing the word that they have received. He's recording it in detail. And for many of the Israelites, the only way that they would ever know that this is there is because it's recorded for them by the men who are building it and placing it in place. Look at verse number eight. This is interesting. Verse eight. And he made, and he made the, uh, he made the laver of brass and a foot of it, of brass, of the looking glasses of the women assembling, which assembled at the door of the tabernacle of congregation. This is interesting. We know that this is not the only time, this is not the only occurrence 
where women are at some point present during this tabernacle worship. You read of these other occurrences, not just uh, here in Exodus, but later on even in Leviticus, you'll find a reference to these women who were doing some sort of, of serving, some sort of helping around the tabernacle. There's, the practice goes really bad. It goes really wrong later on in Israel's history. You have a, a, a case recorded in 1 Samuel chapter 2 where the sons of, of Eli are uh, doing wicked and abominable things with the women who were in service there at the church. And yet, albeit that's a horrible practice, the practice continued. Why? Because the women were there serving in some capacity there in the tip, in the, in the, at the, here in the tabernacle and there in the temple. You say, well, what are these women doing in service here? We're not, we're not exactly sure. Doesn't tell us that. As a matter of fact, all it says is the, the, the looking glass of the women assembling, which assembled at the door. So the women of service who were serving at the doors of the tabernacle of the congregation. So maybe these women were bringing water. Maybe these women were um, cleansing the, or cleaning rather, the holy utensils after they were used. Maybe they're assisting the priest in food preparation. Maybe they're washing the priestly garments. I mean, sacrifices would have been a, a, a bloody ordeal. So maybe these women were responsible for cleaning the garments once they were done. It, it obviously they could have been assisting worshipers who were coming. They could have been giving directions. Maybe they were providing assistance for uh, women who were alone or in need. Perhaps they were providing assistance for them in that way. Whatever way they were serving, it's at least worth noting here in Exodus, and then again later in Leviticus, and then again later in First uh, Samuel, that there are women there. So even though, follow me, even though priests were all men, it is not as though women were forbidden to play any role at all in serving during the tabernacle. This is, this is probably a really good time to, to deal with some of that. There's some who go way too far here, even advocating in our day for women preachers, women evangelists. I think you find very clear instruction in the Bible that this ought not to be. Pastors, elders, deacons, officers of the church is something that is reserved for qualified men alone. Paul gives very clear instruction about that. And while the office of pastor, elder, teacher, preacher, while that is reserved for men alone, that does not mean that women play no part at all in service to God. While that role is reserved for men alone, it does not mean that women play no part, have no role at all. Indeed, as you can see here, they can have a very instrumental part in serving the Lord in some capacity. Even in the ancient world, even in the Old Testament world, women were playing a role of some sort in service to the Lord. We would draw the line at women being pastors, deacons, elders, teachers, evangelists, and preachers. And we would draw that line because Paul draws such a line in the New Testament. 
Just in case you are wondering where we stand on that, that's where we stand. It keeps going. Verse number nine. He talks about the court. Circle the word. He made the court. And on the south side, southward, the hangings of the court were fine twine. The brazen sockets, 20, the hooks of the pillars. gives you all this detail. Get down to verse number 21. All the way down to verse number 21. This is the sum of the tabernacle, even of the tabernacle of testimony, as it was counted according to the commandment of Moses for the service of the Levites by the hand of Ithamar, the son to Aaron, the priest. Baalzleel, the son of Uri, and Ur of the tribe of Judah, look at here, made all that the Lord commanded. Why'd they make that? Why'd they do all this? They made all that the Lord commanded. They made all that the Lord commanded. I want to talk about this little idea to here. I got 10 minutes. Watch this. Look at verse 21. Even the tabernacle of the testimony. This is one of two places in the Bible where this phrase, tabernacle of the testimony, is used. It's actually not normally referred to that. It's normally just referred to the tabernacle. It's used here as tabernacle of the testimony. So, a testimony of what? That's the the next question. A testimony of what? A witness of what? The tabernacle of testimony. The tabernacle of witness. The tabernacle of, or, or the testimony of what? The witness of what? I think there's several ways you can answer this. First, of what was literally there. So what is literally there? So the tabernacle is a witness, it's a testimony of what is literally there. What is literally there? Namely, the Ark of the Covenant. The Ark of the Covenant. What is the Ark of the Covenant a witness of? What is the Ark of the Covenant a testimony of? The Ark of the Covenant is a testimony of the presence of God. The Ark of the Covenant is a, is a testimony of the presence of God. Inside of the Ark of the Covenant, there's three things. According to Hebrews, there's three things placed inside the Ark of the Covenant. Testing your Bible knowledge on Sunday night. Don't answer out loud for sake of being wrong. You know what's in the Ark. In the Ark of the Covenant, according to Hebrews, the manna, Aaron's staff, and a copy of Church bylaws and constitutions of First Baptist Church along me. No, no, no. What's in there? Ten commandments, right? Three things in the ark. Manna, Aaron's staff, according to Hebrews. Manna, Aaron's staff, ten commandments. What, is, what does the manna teach us about? What is, what is the manna a testimony of? Just, just think logically. What's the manna? What does it tell us? When we read the story of God making rain, of making food fall like rain, what does that tell us? God will meet our needs. God will provide for us. He's a God of provision. Aaron's staff, what is that about? Aaron's staff, the staff that's thrown down, turns into a snake, eats all the other snakes there in Pharaoh's court. It's a testimony of God's power. 
Man, the power that our God demonstrates, the power our God demonstrates specifically by way of delivering us from the bondage that we were held in to sin. Ten Commandments, what is that a testimony of? What are we supposed to remember when we think Ten Commandments? This is God's proclamation. Our God is a God who speaks. Our God is a God who has words. Our God is a God of the word. So we have the Bible. Bible says why it matters to you and to me. This is why it's so important for our faith. So when they say it's a tabernacle of testimony, what are they saying? It's a testimony of what? It's a, it's a witness to what? What is this tabernacle witnessing? What is it testifying? Well, it's testifying to what is there. What's there? God's presence is there. And where God's presence abides, his provision is found, his power is known, and his word is proclaimed. Do you follow that? It's Sunday night. Those burritos are from lunch. They're sitting heavy. Did you follow it? It's a testimony. What is it a testimony of? Well, you got to know that. You got to know what's there. What's there? The Ark of the Covenant is there. What does the Ark of the Covenant tell us? He tells us God is present. If God is present, well, then what does that mean? Well, look at the Ark of the Covenant. The Ark of the Covenant will tell you what that means. It means manna, Aaron's staff, Ten Commandments. Yeah, but what do those mean? They, they mean God's provision. They mean God's power. They mean God is a God of proclamation. Our God is a God who gives his, look at it, who gives his word. Why, why, do, they, why do they call it the tabernacle of testimony? What is it testifying of? It's testifying of God's presence. It's testifying of God's presence. It's a testimony of his presence. We got to go quick. Look at number two. It's a testimony of preaching. Okay, so what took place at the tabernacle? What did they do while they were there? The tabernacle, the temple worship, especially in the New Testament, was was chiefly, was primarily a place of sacrifice. But hear me, while it was chiefly a place of sacrifice, it was not exclusively a place of sacrifice. So they did not only make sacrifices at the tabernacle. They did not only make sacrifices at the temple. While it was chiefly a place of sacrifice, it was not exclusively so. Later, you'll find, you'll, you'll read the, the reference in the Old Testament that the priest was also teaching. You'll, you'll find the, an order of teaching priest in the family of the Levites. They're listed in the Chronicles. So you have these you have high priests, you have uh, you know, interim priests, you have uh, priest in training. Another one, of the, you have teaching priest, right? If you're going to break that down in our structure, you have like the youth pastor priest, you have the, the senior adult pastor priest, you have, right? That's how we call them different names than they call them. And that's what they had. They had a teaching priest in Chronicles. So a priest who was, his job was to stand and his job was to teach. And what was his job to teach? What, was, what were his words to proclaim? That God is present. What does that mean for me and for you? Why does this matter for us? 
What does it mean for me and for you to know this about who our God is? Reminds us of the centrality of preaching. Reminds us of the centrality of preaching. I think sometimes this gets lost on us, especially those of us who are familiar with church life. But you do know how unique preaching is, right? Unique is the nice word for it. Paul doesn't use such a nice word. Paul says, preaching is foolish. I go, where else do you go and you listen to the same guy talk from the same book for 45 minutes, sometimes less, most of the time more, three times, don't nod your head on that point, don't, that's, that's not kind, three times a week, three times a week. That's a strange thing. And sometimes we don't, we don't realize it to be a strange because you grow up going to church, you get the pastor preaches, what time are we supposed to be done? Is it going to be interesting today? It doesn't strike us as unique. It doesn't strike us as foolish. And yet to the world, it really is. It really is a weird thing. Where you go and you regularly hear the guy deliver the words from the same book from the, at the same time in the same way every week. And then catch this. We're supposed to do this for the rest of our lives. Some of you aren't happy about that. You wish you had this spot, not that spot. Too bad. This one belongs to me. If you want this job, go find another place. This doesn't, this kind of stuff doesn't happen anywhere outside of Christianity. You don't go and listen to a word preached. You don't go and listen to a sermon. In fact, go to, go to most religions even today. And when you go to church, you don't go to church and receive a sermon, but you go to church, you make prayers. There's a, a liturgy that's offered, which is like a really fancy word for just like a reading of scripture that's offered. There may occasionally be singing here or there. There may occasionally even sometimes be teaching on very special events, but the way of most religions of the world is you go and you, you meditate and you, uh, you, you recite, you, you, you chant, you, you repeat, but you don't get a sermon like this. It's just, this is foolish to the world. You'll find Deuteronomy chapter 33, the Levite taught the law. You'll find 2 Corinthians chapter 15, the position of the teaching priest. You'll find in Nehemiah chapter 8, Ezra teaching God's word while the people stood and Ezra sat. Let's do that. Let's switch. Let me sit and you stand the whole time. That's a great way to do it. You'll find John the Baptist preaching. You'll find Jesus preaching. You'll find Paul preaching. You'll find Timothy and those in Paul's entourage being instructed to preach, specifically preach the word. 
You'll find Jesus sending his disciples out into the world to preach the gospel to every creature. That's what he says to do. Even in the early church, there's this army of believers who are sent out by way of political persecution, but they're sent out. And when they go out to these new regions of the world, to these cities and villages and towns all across the Mediterranean, up into Eastern Europe, and even across into Asia, down into the northern part of Africa, you know what they do when they get there? They preach They preach. They stand and say, thus saith the Lord, we saw Christ with our eyes and he resurrected from the dead and he said he would do so. He said, tear the body down, tear the temple down, I'll build it back again in three days and we witnessed it. We witnessed it on this Christ, believe ye and repent. Sermons are not something that anyone else would have ever came up with. But by the foolishness of preaching, all the wise are confounded. It's not a super creative strategy. It's just preach God's word. Next chapter, next verse. The testimony of preaching. Last one, the testimony of obedience. I think this is probably the most powerful understanding. It's a testimony of obedience. They heard the word of God in chapter number 25. They received the word of God in chapter number 32. And they did the word of God in chapter 36, 7, 8, and 9. Did you, did you follow that? They heard the word of God. They received the word of God. They heard the word of God, chapter 25. They received the word of God, chapter 32. This is a good thing for us to do. All the words that Moses has commanded us, this we will do. Remember that? Remember that week? Everything Moses just told us to do, we're going to go do because we take those words as the words of God. So they heard the word of God. They received the word of God. And now here at the end of the book, what are they doing? The word of God. It's obedience. Oh, that God would give us a testimony of obedience. Hey, moms and dads, obedience isn't something that just your children are supposed to do. Teach our children to obey. That's a good thing. We want our kids to obey. And God wants his kids to obey. You're never beyond obedience. Look here. You're never beyond obedience. James even warns us about that. James warns us about a time that can happen in our lives of spiritual complacency where we can think that by simply hearing the word, going to church, listening to it as it's preached, reading it in our devotions, that simply by hearing the word, we've deceived ourselves thinking, oh yeah, the truth is in me, but we didn't do the word also. You see that you see the the it, it's probably most clear here in Exodus. You see the the gap between they heard the word, they received the word. This is a good thing for us to do, and then they went and did what they were told to do. And so it ought to be in your life and in mine. 
so it ought to be in your life and in mine. The end of the, um, the end of the chapter there, chapter 38. You got chapter, you got verse number 24 all the way down to verse number 31. You know what you have there? You have a detailed record of all the money that was collected for the projects which they have obediently entered into. So you say, well, why is that recorded? Well, when you give tithes and offerings here to the church, don't you want to know that those tithes and offerings go to where you give them? How many of you enjoy receiving your financial statement at the end of the year? Get your little tax break, right? Two people raise their hand. And one of them is like a five-year-old. He, he, doesn't even, he doesn't even get a tax break. Doesn't even get a tax break. How many of you enjoy receiving your giving statement at the end of the year? Let's try that again. Let's wake everybody up. We're almost done. Hang in there. Okay. It's, 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 a, little, it's a little better. That's what this is. That's all this is. Look, here's, here's why I say that. Because sometimes what we do is we come to passages like that and we think, there can't be anything there for me. There can't be anything in all of this. Where the, where the poles went, where the rings were, what the wood was, what was under the wood. Oh no, no there's so much there. There's so many, we didn't even, we didn't even touch the skill that's used by these men in order to accomplish what God told them to do. Did you read Moses was the builder? No, Moses wasn't the builder. Moses isn't the one who built it. Why? Because Moses was a prophet. Because Moses was not a builder. No, no, no. He, he hired very skilled, qualified, wise men in order to see to the task that God had given. We didn't even touch that part. We could, I can take 15 minutes and help explain that to you if you don't get it, but I think you probably get it. And all those lessons and so many others from a chapter, chapters in the Bible that chances are when we first started reading, you went... Oh, pastor, just like skip to the end. I mean, let's just get to the let's just get to the whole. You know, Moses dies. The people have to wander. Moses hits the rock. Let's just get out of this thing. And we miss so many great lessons applicable for you and for me. We hope this was a blessing to you. For more information about First Baptist Church and sermons from Pastor Dave Delaney, please visit us at www.fbclb dot org.